I love coffee and I love sharing both. So go grab your cup and let's talk. Everybody have their cup of coffee? Let's dig right in. This is a part two of Stay the Course. And so if you haven't heard part one, I would really encourage you to go back and listen to it so you can grasp the full point of staying the course. And I want to pick right up where I left off in part one. And I was talking about the fact in Matthew chapter 14, where Jesus sends all the disciples together on the boat to get to the other side. And they had just on the very shore they were on, they had done, yes, a great work. But now it was time for them to go to the other side. There was a new purpose, a new accomplishment that had to take place. And so God had a vessel for them to get to the other side, by the way. He had provision. And even in that place of provision, it was going to get rough. But if they stayed the course, they would arrive where they were supposed to arrive. And so... They're on the shore. They've just fed the 5,000. Jesus sends the disciples in the boat. He tells them, go over to the other side. And so they get in and it gets rocky in the boat and all that starts to take place. Because the truth of the matter is, when we're on course and we've obeyed, we've taken that first step of faith and gotten into the boat, the tough portion of that faith is to be obedient and remain in that place to get us to that new place. See, we've left one place. It's really a huge transition going on here. We've left one place and we got to get to the other place. So the enemy is going to work overtime to get us off course. And so Peter, we know, you know, we've heard so many sermons preached about this. He gets out of the boat. Everybody's like, yay, go Peter. I've done it myself. How brave. He was the only one willing to step out of the boat. Everybody else just sat there looking at him. Peter's the one. He's amazing. Really, he was off course. He was off course. Jesus never intended for Peter to get out of the boat and walk over to him. In in part one, I mentioned that Peter's Lack of faith, Peter's doubt in this whole situation was equal to that of doubting Thomas and how he doubted that Jesus really rose from the dead. So let's go back to the boat. (laughs) Let's go back to, it was in Matthew 14. Let's go back to that and finish up. And one thing I want to make sure that you get in case you haven't listened to part one is that they, Jesus is walking out on the water to the disciples in the boat that's in the middle of 
the waves, you know, it's windy, it's rocking, they're concerned, and now they think they've seen a ghost. Because the reason they think they've seen a ghost, and this is kind of interesting, is because, <clears throat> number one, they've never seen a human being walk on water. Number two, it's actually been prophesied in both Genesis and the book of Job that the Messiah would be the one to walk on water. And so they ask, well, they actually, they don't ask. They just begin to scream out in fear. And Jesus tries to settle them down. And he doesn't say, hey, it's Jesus. Hey, it's Yahshua. Hey, I'm coming out to you. He doesn't say what, like, I would be like, if I scared, if somebody was scared, and they didn't realize it was me. But hey, it's Linda. But that's not how he responds. He says, take courage. I am. I am. It's the same I am that God spoke to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. It's the same I am. I am the Lord. I am God. I am the Son of God. I am Jesus Christ, the anointed one. I am the one it's been prophesied about. So he's responded and said that. Now, this is where the doubt comes in. Peter says in Matthew chapter 14 at verse 28, Lord, if it is you, if it is you, in other words, I'm putting a demand on you, just like Thomas did, to prove yourself. Even though I just saw you feed 5,000 people with very little. Even though we had two fish and we had five loaves of bread and we had leftovers. He says, if it is you, <laughs> bid me to come to you on the water. So even though Peter was never supposed to get out of the boat and he was never supposed to walk on the water, Jesus is in a tough place. What is he supposed to say to Peter? Yeah, it's really me, but don't get out of the boat. How is he supposed to respond to Peter? He's put in a position by Peter here where only one response will work. It's almost like there's not a no answer to this. There's, have you ever been asked a question and really, no matter what, you're going to be put in a situation? Well, it is me, but don't get out of the boat. Well, that's just going to take another challenge. So Jesus responds truthfully the only way he can in this moment. And he says, come, come. <clears throat> if you must, if you have to, Peter. If you have to step away from all of the other disciples, if you have to be a one-man show, if nobody else matters in this moment but you, see, Peter's putting himself in front of the others. And this is something that the disciples, actually, Peter's not the only one that did it. The disciples did this all the time. I mean, Jesus' only response is come. Just come. Fine, whatever. Come on. <laughs> if you got to do it, you got to do it. If you got to jump out of the boat, jump out of the boat. The only one that was ever supposed to walk on the water was Jesus. But now we got Peter in this situation. And basically, Peter 
is asking Jesus to prove himself. That's what he's doing. Same thing Thomas did. This is not bravery. This is not boldness. This is doubt in full force. Significant doubt. He's asking Jesus to confirm who he is. When he just made the proclamation, can we not just believe the man on his word? Right? What does he actually say to him? If it is you. I mean, I wish we could capitalize, underline, bold, and italicize that if. Because that is, who else is out walking on the water? (laughs) I mean, what? I don't even understand that. You know, trying to put myself in that place today. And the fact that they literally just left the shore where they fed 5,000 men with what? Two fish and five loaves. Like it just happened. Jesus just kept breaking the bread and handing it to the disciples and it was never ending. And now he's like, if, I don't know if it's really you. Let's put this to the test. Peter wasn't looking to just walk around on the water unless he was looking to elevate himself to the same place as Jesus. If you can walk on water, maybe I can too, so call me out there. And so, of course, Jesus says, come on. I mean, what else is he going to say? You know, it's kind of like us sometimes with our own kids. You know, if if that's what you got to do, that's what you got to do. I guess I'm going to let you do that, and I'm going to show you. Or you're going to see as a result of your stubbornness who's really Lord here. And so Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on the water for a moment and he heads towards Jesus. And we know, you know, it says when he perceived and he felt a strong wind around him. Now the same strong wind was around Jesus. He got frightened and now, now he cries out. Lord, Lord, save me from death. Save me from this situation I got myself into when I stepped out of the boat that was uncomfortable, actually. I wasn't in a life of luxury in the boat, and I was so brave to walk away from that. It was a struggle in the boat, too. And then I doubted you were really who you said you were, so I made you call me, and then you did, so then I had to respond to that. And now I'm sinking, and now I understand Lord help. In one moment. I mean, Jesus doesn't even hesitate. Doesn't even hesitate. He reaches his hand out immediately. Immediately. The Amplified says in verse 31 of Matthew 14, instantly, Jesus reached out his hand and caught and helped him. Saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Doubt what? Doubt that he could walk on water? No, no. Why did you doubt when I said I am that I really was? Why did you doubt that, Peter? When are you going to see me as your true Lord? When are you going to have understanding that I am who I say I am? And he proved who he was. And he goes, uh, Peter and Jesus go back to the boat where Jesus was supposed to be. (laughs) And that's the awesome thing. 
And a lot of times we'll get off course because we doubt where we are supposed to be. We doubt that God really said, get in the boat and get to the other side. And no matter what happens on the journey on the way over there, you're going to make it. They could actually see the shore on both sides. You'll get there. See, the easy part is jumping in the boat when it's still on the shore. But when it gets pushed away from the shore and we're headed to that other shore and we haven't quite ended up there yet, that's when it gets difficult. That's when doubt, we have to fight those doubt thoughts in our mind. And see, we have the luxury of Jesus isn't going to be up on the mountain praying. He's in the boat with us. I promise you that. And so we have to understand that. And he has others in the boat with us too. Not one of those disciples was alone. So Jesus basically puts Peter back in the boat and then he gets in the boat too. I mean, I would just love to be in that boat seeing what all the different disciples thought. I don't know why you had to go and do that, Peter. Why are you challenging Jesus? He said, I am. He's walking on the water. He's got to be the Messiah. So here they are back in the boat. And Jesus is with them now in the boat. And what does it say takes place? Once they are back on course. And this, I think, is the toughest place to stay on course is when we've left one shore and we're headed to another shore. It's so difficult. And it's so easy to get off course, especially when the wind starts blowing, especially when the waves start crashing. When you're in your place, you are most effective. Whether it's a place of you being brought through the storm and God is basically refining you and showing you maybe any lingering doubt you may have, or whether you've made it already to the other side and you're walking in the purpose of that shore. When we're in the place or on the course we're supposed to be on, we're significant. Our impact is significant. I'll put it that way. That's a better way to put it. Our impact is significant. So Jesus puts Peter back in the boat and Jesus gets in the boat with him. And the minute they get in the boat, the wind stops. And this is something that's awesome. Like this is a revelation moment for all of the disciples. Because remember, you know, we'll cut Peter a little bit of slack here. He was the one that challenged Jesus. But he wasn't the only one who didn't think Jesus was Jesus. They all thought he was a ghost. And by the way, this is their second dealing with a boat in a storm. Jesus was already on the other boat sleeping, remember? But this one's different. He's walking across the water to them because he's revealing to them in this moment, they need to know. In this moment, they need to know he is, I am. Before they arrive at the shore on the other side, they need to know. Because what he has for them on the other side, they need that equipping. So when we have left one shore and we are headed to another shore, 
that stuff that happens on the open water, basically when we feel most exposed, when we are most exposed to doubt and unbelief and fear and um, concern, should we have left that shore that we just left? Are we going to make it to that shore over there? But everything that happens in those open waters is significant, it's training, and it's necessary. It's necessary. So in verse 33, in those in the boat, it's basically the disciples, those in the boat knelt and worshiped him saying, truly, truly, you are the son of God. Truly you are. Now, the two fish and the five loaves didn't cut it, right? The water into wine didn't cut it. And any other miracles that Jesus had done in between those, none of them cut it. Him walking on the water and then rescuing Peter and both of them getting back in the boat, that's what did it. And now they say, truly you are what you just said you were. I am. And they worshiped him. Verse 34, and when they had crossed over to the other side, they went ashore. They went ashore. So now they are on the other side. So we have to stay in a place of knowing God has pushed us away from one shore and we are headed towards another shore. But in that open water, there's going to be some things that we don't understand. And if we will keep ourselves in place, in position, on course, God will reveal himself to us as the one true Lord and Savior, Redeemer, the great I am, everything we need him to be. And we will arrive on the other side, on the shore we are next supposed to be on. And as a matter of fact, when they get on the shore, many miracles take place. It says in verse 36, as many as touched it were perfectly restored. They're just touching the hem of Jesus' garment at this point. They're bringing all the sick to them. Significant healings begin to take place. And so will we be willing to lay aside all doubt, to lay aside all unbelief, to get in the boat, to stay in the boat, to allow it to do whatever buffeting it has to do before we arrive on the shore, the great crowds waiting for us on the other side, purpose waiting for us on the other side. Staying in that place, staying on course. Let's turn real quick before we close this out to Colossians chapter two. Let's just jump over there real quick. I want to read this scripture to you. It's just kind of confirming, talking a little more about staying the course. Let's see. Let's start at verse 16. Put my glasses on so I can see. 
As you have therefore received Christ, even Jesus the Lord, so walk, regulate your lives and conduct yourselves in union with and conformity to him. Have the roots of your being, this is how we stay the course, firmly and deeply planted in him. I'm reading from the Amplified. Fixed and founded in him, being continually built up in him, becoming increasingly more confirmed and established in the faith, just as you were taught and abounding and overflowing in it with thanksgiving. See to it that no one carries you off as spoil or makes you yourselves captive by his so-called philosophy and intellectualism and vain deceit. Following human traditions, men's ideas of the material rather than the spiritual, just crude notions following the rudimentary and elemental teachings of the universe and disregarding the teachings of Jesus Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity, the Godhead, continues to dwell in bodily form. And you are in him. You are made full and you have come to fullness of life in him. And he is the head of all rule and authority. In him, you were circumcised, not a circumcision made with your hands, but in a spiritual circumcision performed by Jesus Christ by stripping off the body of the flesh with all its passions and lusts. You were circumcised when you were buried with him in your baptism in which you were also raised through your faith in the working of God when he raised him up from the dead. And you who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God brought to life together with Christ, having freely forgiven all our transgressions. Freely forgiven them all. Verse 14, having canceled and blotted out and wiped away the handwriting of the note with its legal decrees and demands, which was in force and stood against us. This note, with its regulations, decrees, and demands, he set it aside and cleared it completely out of our way by nailing it to his cross. Therefore, oh, actually, let me do verse 15. I don't want to miss that. So God disarmed the principalities and powers that were raged against us and made a bold display and a public example of them in triumphing over them in him and in it. So let no one sit in judgment on you in matters of food and drink or with regard to a feast day or a new moon or a Sabbath. So we have to stay the course. And that's how we stay the course. That's how we do it. We have understanding and revelation that we have received Jesus Christ. We walk in him. We remain rooted in him, built up in him, established in that faith. And with a thanksgiving heart. That's how we do it. We don't let anyone rob us of what we know to be truth. We don't let anybody, remember I, I talked in the beginning of part one about voices in our head. We don't let man's opinion of God pushing us off the shore and sending us over to the other side. We don't let man's opinion come in and speak against that putting seeds of doubt in us and us being robbed in the long run. We don't do that. We have to stay the course. 
We have to worship our Lord and Savior at all times. We have to, see, we have to stay in an uncomfortable boat at times, even when we have doubt come on us and fear, because those two things were in that boat. They screamed because they thought it was a ghost, and Peter said, if it's you, so all of the above. We just have to, we have to worship him beforehand. Like it says they worshiped Jesus after he got into the boat, after he proved himself. Let's try worshiping him while the boat's rocking. And that equips us to stay the course with him. That equips us to reach that destination on the other side. Not being robbed, walking in the fullness of all that the Lord has for each one of us as he's trying to send us over to the other side. I want to encourage you to remove all doubt, remove all fear, stay the course. Don't only make that first step of faith, but remain in obedience, on course for what the Lord has said to do, no matter how comfortable it gets, and always, always worship your way through it.